0: this is the gift that he decided to give the american people what the hell is going on wrong wrong drugs wrong healthcare wrong a wall wrong republicans wrong democrats wrong wrong they're not sending their best broadcasting from an undisclosed location From deep within the CSU headquarters, hopefully hiding from the incel army, this is Everybody's Wrong. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. This is episode 6. So, I'm perusing Gizmodo earlier, and let me start by saying that I like Gizmodo. I generally trust their opinions on tech, but they, like most internet brands, have had to compete for clicks. So, in addition to articles about Apple's call block feature, or the $4,500 version of HP's G5 Studio which looks incredible, by the way. You also get articles about a Florida woman that bit a camel's testicles. Yes, you heard me, and I don't want to say it again. The point is, I was scanning through some other non-tech-related articles, and I came across one concerning the new Joker movie. And here's where the rabbit hole began. For starters, according to Gizmodo, the U.S. military has issued warnings to service members about the possibility for a mass shooting at theaters showing Joker. Saying in part, the US Army confirmed on Tuesday that the warning was widely distributed after social media posts related to extremists classified as incels were uncovered by intelligence officials at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They make them sound like ISIS. For those that don't spend way too much time on the internet, incel means involuntary celibate. It's usually used as a derogatory term. Basically the stereotypical guy living in his mom's basement, he can't get laid, he's angry to the point of being a danger to himself and others, that guy. To an extent, I get the concern. While usually overstated and dramatized, there are those that act out violently, as in some of the most recent mass shooting incidents. So the military basically just sent an email, heads up, reminding people to know their exits, etc. While I'd heard passive mention of this before in connection with Joker, I wasn't really getting the threat level. Joaquin Phoenix plays a loser who becomes an insane clown, but surely there are other more threatening film villains out there. I mean, who didn't agree with Thanos on some level? There's no way that's just me. I also haven't forgotten the Aurora theater shooting during The Dark Knight Rises. And while I get the thematic connection, are we just going to expect a shooting anytime there's a movie involving Gotham City? And speaking of which, that theater where the 2012 shooting happened will not be showing Joker. I'm not sure if this is, was their call from the beginning or if this is a response to pressure. That's just what I read. The concern over Joker seems to be the perception of relatability. After it won top prize at the Venice Film Festival, there was much hand-wringing and many a think-piece. They're usually written by someone that hadn't even seen the movie, and they love to write things like, and I don't need to. Alyssa Wilkinson at Vox wrote, Joker aims to give the infamous supervillain a shocking standalone backstory. It's not nearly as edgy as it thinks. Tweets like, The new Joker movie is starting to look like a sympathetic tale of wronged-by-society white dude and their entitlement to violence. Is that how it's starting to look? Do you even know who the Joker is? This isn't a new thing. Depending on the backstory, he was a schmuck whose luck went from bad to worse, and bam, he's the Joker. The Joker has always been unhinged. He can't be reasoned with, he kills without motive or logic. He is the terror of chaos personified. That's what makes him a favorite villain a favorite of people like Valiant Comics editor Heather Athos, who retweeted Rachel Miller's bit about why the Joker is problematic. Athos, by her own social media, is, or at least was, a pretty big Joker fan. Now, I'm not attacking her for changing her opinion, if she in fact did. My point is, did you just now realize that the Joker was a dangerous psychopath? But alas, so many critics and a multitude of blue check marks have coalesced into one giant amorphous fear machine, spreading like Ebola, except it only seeks to kill things we used to enjoy. A reporter for the Telegraph asked Phoenix if he'd considered the possibility that the movie could inspire someone to commit violence. Phoenix reportedly walked out of the interview, which many attribute to the nature of the question, but it may just be what he does. Google him. He's a weird dude. Back on Gizmodo in a different article than the original, I found some thoughts on that incident. It seems unfathomable that Phoenix could have taken this role without spending any time reflecting on the cultural landscape the movie exists in, given the actor's reputation for diving deep into the essence of the characters that he plays. Even if he somehow managed to put together his take on the Joker in a vacuum, it seems just as unlikely that this topic never came up during the movie's production process. Or that someone at Warner Brothers wouldn't have thought to themselves, hmm, someone's probably going to ask about the movie glorifying angry white men taking up arms. See, I don't find that unlikely at all because I don't believe that that's how normal people think. I don't think actors and writers spend time during a production to wonder how people will act out after seeing it. They are very mindful that it's a movie and that audiences generally understand the separation from reality. Warner Brothers' statement about the issue started with Make no mistake, neither the fictional character Joker nor the film is an endorsement of real world violence of any kind. I'm glad we cleared that up. Now, While reading about the Joker and the completely reasonable reactions to it, I stumbled across a trailer for a similar movie. Similar in the way that it's almost as if all the people nervous about Joker got together and wrote a movie about the very people they're worried about. By that, I mean those basement-dwelling, angry, white nationalist incels. The movie is called Cuck, because of course it is. And curiously enough, it comes out on the same day as Joker, October 4th. While Phoenix's character in Joker seems pretty crazy from the start, Cuck's trailer focuses on what someone probably intended to be an average alt-right YouTuber. He's bitter, struggling, and super racist. And that's not a comment on actual YouTubers of any sort, but the whole thing just feels like a heavy-handed New York Times hit piece made into a movie. The trailer shows the main character, Ronnie, meander through his shitty existence, working a crap job, living at home with what appears to be a sick mother. On the computer, a video plays of a guy that rants against diversity while a giant American flag waves behind him. Ronnie Vince about how you can't be proud of being white and male, yada, yada, yada. It checks all the alt-right boxes. Then it gets into some weird sex stuff. I don't think I want to know what that was about. He gets angrier. He gets a gun, apparently quite easily. Even being just my first impression of the trailer, the film seems pretty obvious. The trailer even ends with a guy on the computer saying, Are you ready to take the red pill? Or are you just another cuck? It's like someone who had never used the internet watched the Vice News piece on 8chan and they just assumed that that's how all those people talk. While the incel connection to Joker seems a bit of a stretch, Cuck seems a little too on the nose, but I guess we'll see. Both of these movies were sidetracks from what I was originally wanting to talk about this week, but I found it interesting, A, that people are worried about the Joker movie, and B, that they're so concerned with the subject of incels that they're literally making movies about them. Maybe after both movies are out, I'll revisit this to see how all the hype and worry played out. I'm no good at segues. Let's talk about getting cancelled. The kerfuffle over the Dave Chappelle special was one of the things we missed while on hiatus. But several things have happened more recently that brought the cancelling issue back to the forefront. Let's start with Shane Gillis. Gillis was fired from Saturday Night Live just days after he was announced as a new cast member after some clips surfaced of him on a podcast doing a bit about Chinatown. The bit was, at the very least, a little inappropriate, especially by PC standards. But if we're being honest, it wasn't as horrible as it was made to sound. But that's not really the problem. First off, it wasn't that funny. Depending on your particular background, that may or may not seem like something that matters. But in the historical context of comedians saying inappropriate things, it does seem to be a factor. For example, Louis C.K., before his Brush With Me Too, which we will touch on in a moment, he had a huge career. He was considered a bit edgy, but acceptable. And Louis said the N-word. On stage. More than once. That in itself would normally be considered more offensive than anything Shane Gillis said. But Louis said it in a joke that was successful. The shock of the word added to the joke. My point here isn't to argue for or against using slurs in comedy. The fact is they didn't come for Louis's career over it. No one tried to cancel him for using the N-word mainly because it was widely accepted as funny in that moment. Now, Louis also has money, which helps. But if Louis had went on some tirade and used the word outside of a joke, money wouldn't have stopped the response. Also, I haven't seen or heard any of it, but Louis C.K. is apparently backdoing shows and unapologetic concerning his attempted cancellation. Dave Chappelle benefited from similar factors. He faced larger outcry because his special was so popular but many celebrities and comedians defended his jokes as a part of comedy. Also, Dave doesn't just have money, he has what they call fuck you money, which is key. He's made his money, he's even been on a long hiatus and came back. He has nothing to fear from being cancelled. I don't really care that Shane Gillis was fired. I mean, I don't think it was necessary, but honestly, if they had seen these clips beforehand, they wouldn't have hired him. If they had hired him in spite of these comments, and only fired him as a result of public pressure, maybe I would feel differently. And that really just makes me wonder how no one caught this to begin with. I don't believe people should be as touchy or as easily offended, but they are. That's just facts. So knowing that people are like that, wouldn't you want to be pretty thorough in hiring people, if only to cover your own ass? If they had just started to consider Gillis and decided against it due to past comments, there'd be no story here. It's just another comedian that didn't get a job. But the whole issue of canceling people raises a lot of questions for me. Like, who is susceptible to the canceling? Look at people like Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He had pictures come out of him in what seems to be blackface. They call it brownface. I don't know if that's a wording difference in Canada or if they're just being specific about the shade of racism. A, this isn't the first time a photo like this has come out even though he promised he only did it the once, or twice. Now it's come out a third time. And B, he was old enough to know better. At least one of these incidents occurred in, like, 2001. Sometimes when a picture like this comes out, it's clearly not cool, but they say, well, it was decades ago, it was a different time, we didn't know it was bad, etc. But this was less than 20 years ago. That excuse is off the table. But will he be cancelled? Probably not. That's not to say he is without his critics over the incident, but I don't imagine his career will be ended because of it. While Canada does have an election coming up, he has a lot more to be criticized over than brownface. Also, what is the statute of limitations on being offensive? How long ago did something need to be to gain the cancel pass? Word is Eddie Murphy has worked out a deal with Netflix for a stand-up special, which I am very curious to see. But if people found Dave Chappelle's special offensive, just wait till they find out about Eddie Murphy's first two. 1983's Delirious and then 1987's Raw were both very funny, very successful, and wildly inappropriate by today's standards. Will he get a pass because it was so long ago? Will it depend on how funny his new special is? I don't know. Lastly, what if you refuse the canceling? Shane Gillis has no pull. SNL would have been potentially his big break. So the enormous coverage this has all gotten will no doubt find him work. But, presuming it doesn't, he is the average outcome. Then there are people like Louis C.K. who step out of the spotlight for a bit, they weather the storm, and then they come back to work. What then? People are upset enough about it that they criticize Chappelle for downplaying it to begin with. They get so angry that their perceived power didn't work on someone that they freak out. They can't stand that other people are carrying on with things they don't approve of, and that's my real issue with the canceling thing. For years, I have been a huge fan of both Dave Chappelle and Louis C.K. If you told me that you chose not to watch any of their specials or support anyone who aired them because you found them offensive, I would respect that. There are comedians that I don't listen to. I won't say because I'm offended. I can't think of a joke that really got to me like that. But there are comedians that do a lot of jokes about subject matters that maybe I don't find as funny as they do. And that's fine. I don't try to shut them down or keep other people from listening to them. I just make my own choices and let others worry about theirs. I will, however, point out that I campaigned pretty hard against Dane Cook, but that's because he steals jokes. I don't know if that's still the case, but I stand by it. The active campaign to destroy the lives of people you don't like or don't agree with is grotesque, and it's out of hand. Just get over yourselves and live your own life. Speaking of people trying to control the lives of others, let's talk about gun laws. Obviously, gun control has been a debate for a very long time. But recently, it has been much louder with recent mass shootings and O'Rourke's campaign pledge to take legally owned AR-15s and AK-47s. Gun control supporters have generally faced a number of hurdles. Not the least of which is they tend to not know shit about guns. One of my favorites is the California state senator who referred to a 30 caliber clip capable of shooting 30 bullets in half a second. There was an article in the Daily News two or three years ago about what it's like to shoot an AR-15. I don't know what sort of prior experience the guy had with guns in general, but it was a pretty ridiculous piece top to bottom. The headline was, What is it like to fire an AR-15?, It's horrifying, menacing, and very loud. He said, It felt to me like a bazooka and sounded like a cannon. Okay, yeah, they're a little loud. It's a gun. It's basically a contained explosion. But here's the best part. I'm quoting from the article. The recoil bruised my shoulder, which can happen if you don't know what you're doing. The brass shell casing disoriented me as it flew past my face. The smell of sulfur and destruction made me sick. The explosions, loud like a bomb, gave me temporary form of PTSD. For at least an hour after firing the gun, just a few times, I was anxious and irritable. Even in semi-automatic mode, it's very simple to squeeze off two dozen rounds before you even know what has happened. So, reserving some personal opinions about that guy, I like the ending, It's semi-automatic, which means you have to pull the trigger once for every bullet you fire. If you pulled the trigger two dozen times, how do you not know what happened? I get that that's old news, but it was a good example of what I'm saying. Now, a more recent incident might be Democratic Representative from Texas Sheila Jackson Lee's experience with an AR-15. My bill that I've introduced dealing with with the caliber weapon, I've held an AR-15 in my hand. I wish I had it. It is as heavy as... 10 boxes that you might be moving, uh, and the bullet that is utilized, a 50 caliber, these kinds of bullets, uh, need to be licensed and do not need to be on the street. I'm not sure what sort of boxes she means. It's a little vague. But I'll give her benefit of the doubt and presume that these are empty cardboard boxes, so she may not be far off. However, everything else is stunningly wrong, especially in regards to the rounds. While an AR-15 loaded with 50 caliber rounds would be awesome in a lot of ways, that's just not a thing. I don't really know how to explain how wrong she was if you don't already know something about different calibers. But if you go to the Wikipedia page for caliber, there is actually a picture on the right side comparing various rounds. And it actually shows the second one from the right is the kind of round an AR-15 fires. The ever so slightly larger one to the left of that is an example of a round from an AK-47. And that big-ass one on the far left is what Sheila Jackson Lee believes an AR-15 fires. So you can see a pretty big difference there. Also, worth noting, if you're looking at that photo, the two rounds next to the 50 caliber are average rounds for hunting. Rounds for guns that are not at all brought up when discussing these dangerous weapons. O'Rourke, during the debate, described how assault rifles use rounds that were designed to shred everything inside your body when it hits you, which is not how that works. Especially in the case of the 223 rounds that the AR-15 uses, many people find it inadequate for hunting because it's too low-powered for larger game. Now, maybe if they utilized this internal organ shredding technology, you could use it a bit more effectively. The round was designed to be smaller and lighter so you could carry more of it, not because it was especially deadly. O'Rourke also alluded to the round causing you to bleed to death before anyone could get to you and preventing you from getting up to fight back. The first part is not true, and the second part about not getting up is specifically the point of shooting someone. But if you want what is commonly referred to as stopping power, you don't want the round the AR-15 uses. Full disclosure, the AK-47 is a little different. Beyond using a larger round, it was literally designed by a soldier for soldiers. It is by definition a weapon of war. And before you jump to conclusions, I don't support the banning of that either or any other gun. The fact that it was originally designed for warfare is inconsequential. People often get mired down in this conversation about what the gun was designed for or whether or not it makes a decent weapon for hunting. You can, and people frequently do, hunt smaller game with an AR-15. It's light and it's convenient, but that has nothing to do with why it should not be banned. The normal argument is that you don't need an AR-15. People don't need most things. Chances are you don't need a car. Most places have adequate public transportation, and you could also score points with your friends for helping reduce pollution. I actually used that argument on a coworker once, to which she responded, Well, my car has never killed anyone. Well, neither has my gun. Any of them. Not that I own any since that tragic boating accident. But she predictably countered with, But other people's guns have killed a lot of people. Well, and other people's cars have killed way more people than other people's guns. So what's the real difference here? Fear. People fear guns. And part of that is somewhat legitimate with a touch of lack of understanding. But a large part is just political and media hype. When you hear about children having active shooter drills in school, it really drives home the dangers of the modern world. These things happen, and that's scary. People put the focus on the gun because it's easier. The fact that mental health care in this country is between broken and non-existent is harder. The fact that bureaucracy interferes when people actively try to report an imminent threat, like the Parkland shooter, is harder. The fact that the gun control systems already in place are flawed and ineffective is harder. But by keeping you scared of one object that can make you feel safer just by making a speech or proposing a bill or any other series of useless measures... And before we move on, I want to specify cars are responsible for more deaths than guns are. I say way more because I don't factor suicides into gun death numbers, which accounts for something like 6 in 10. Having dealt with suicide in various capacities, I can promise you that the gun is much less of a factor than the intention. Moving on. Another big hurdle in gun control is implementation. When lawmakers call for things like confiscation, there are difficult logistics involved. How would these guns be taken? Are police just going door to door and seizing guns from citizens? Are we supposed to believe that they would all be turned in voluntarily if the order was given? Among other things, this is why these measures never get passed. Not only are they dangerously impractical, but they, even in their wording, sound pretty severe. Who is supporting that idea realistically? So they find other ways, like red flag laws. If you tell the average person that your intent is to keep guns away from only those people that are crazy or dangerous, they will most likely back that plan. I mean, on its surface, what's wrong with that? Even the more hardcore Second Amendment defender doesn't really want psychos and terrorists to have weapons, right? The problem comes when you start discussing who gets these labels and how. If a kid walked into a gun store and asks which gun would be best to shoot up his school, that's a legitimate warning sign. But what about the guy that goes to his doctor for depression and anxiety? What if someone posts unpopular opinions on social media? We all know someone who reports memes for being offensive. What if that affected your ability to own a gun? I know of people who almost lost their job because an angry ex called up and tried to get them fired. Online arguments have devolved to the point of calling SWAT teams to a person's house and and in at least one case resulted in a fatality. Are those people going to factor in? That is the core problem with red flag laws regardless of its intentions, it is very easy to abuse it. And that's not even getting into the dangers to law enforcement that actually have to go to someone's house and take their guns. There are already too many stories of that going sideways. But red flag laws are easy to push and they don't require complete support. They can and have been passed by local authorities around the country. The bonus for politicians is that they can still say that they're not trying to take your guns. They're not making the call. They're not telling police to come take your stuff. That's just another concerned citizen doing what they thought was best for everyone's safety. The safety, security versus liberty argument is another debate that has gone on through history. And while it's quite relevant to the gun law argument, a wonderful example of the idiots that caused that very discussion showed up on Twitter recently. Originally posted by The Passion Times, they appear to be some sort of news service covering Hong Kong, However, their Twitter feed does have a lot of amateur art of people hanging themselves. I'm not really sure what that's about. But they originally posted this video of a quote Western woman tearing down protest posters and lecturing protesters about what her mob would think of graffiti and that violence breeds more violence and safety is more important than freedom. This is not a public forum. But who's, who's not? Who's not participating? And why don't the universities get involved instead of protesting? Oh, yeah. What a waste of time for everybody! You guys yeah. should be enjoying you her her like your the Sunday. No. This is not no. a waste of time. No. Look, is this is this okay? Is this respectful? Why not? Why not? If my mother saw me do this, how do you do you know? What do you do? I'm not saying what they do is is wrong. Shut up. Is that us? All. They're wrong. You. They do They're well do so. are so wrong. Violence breeds violence. Do you agree? Do you agree? Violence, there's finally one, one case where okay. violence led to a good solution. I think for them, yeah. the depends is their The only way to protect freedom is to give off a certain violence. Okay, you're, you're right. So the problem is, it's not fight the man. You guys value freedom more than safety. Do we agree? Okay, so, I think safety is more important than freedom. If you have a safe environment, you can communicate. Pardon? But they're worried about their safety. Hold on. No, I'm not saying. Look, your, your value system is different. Okay? If if you're older, the old thinking, like China's thinking, is safety is more important than freedom. Do you agree? yelling, yeah. Okay, so that's everybody here. But we shouldn't, I, do we shouldn't no, no, no. No, no. I love that she tells them that protesting is pointless and that they should be enjoying their Sunday. The end of the audio got cut off, but it's just an older woman yelling at her in Cantonese that she can't take the posters down because other people put them up, which she replies, this is my city too. And then a guy that looks kind of like Wong from Doctor Strange blocks the posters and just yells at her that he doesn't speak English. I have no idea if this woman is for real. And part of me wants to believe that no one is this oblivious, but who can really know anymore? The translated page from The Passion Times seems a little sketchy, as many English translations do. But according to Taiwan News, the light blue t-shirt worn by the woman was the same I Love Hong Kong shirt worn by pro-China, pro-police thugs seen assaulting pedestrians in Hong Kong's Fortress Hill area on September 14th. They also know that many of her statements match talking points from the Chinese Communist Party. Maybe that means she's a plant of some sort. Maybe it just shows that she's really, really stupid. Maybe that's just propaganda by the Taiwan News. Either way, this is clearly a woman that has never had to worry about safety or freedom in any meaningful way. And the fact that people like this have the audacity to lecture other people, much less other cultures, about how to fight for freedom is absurd. And there are waves of people like this right here in America wanting to tell all of us how to live our lives based on their own cushy, sheltered experience. I'd also like to point out that Taiwan News responds to her... Find me one case where violence led to a solution with, quote, A couple of examples that come to mind would be the American Revolutionary War from 1775 to 1783 and resistance against apartheid in South Africa, among many other struggles for independence, freedom, and democracy. Well played, Taiwan News. Well played. Finally, Trump News, which is normally filed under who really gives a shit at this point. Formal impeachment proceedings are officially a go. Yeah! Are you excited? No? Neither is anybody else. Nancy Pelosi announced the mostly symbolic gesture last Tuesday, stating that the final decision was made after Trump admitted to asking the Ukrainian president to look into corruption allegations against Joe Biden and his son. Allegedly, Trump asked this favor after freezing hundreds of millions of dollars in aid to the Ukraine, which would imply a sort of quid pro quo. However, defenders of the president say otherwise. Trump has since released a transcript of the call and, of course, either side read it as evidence to their respective benefit. Either way, with impeachment proceedings moving along, six committees will be investigating the president and, depending on the findings, the House could draft articles of impeachment, then go through a series of votes to decide whether or not to make it official. Even if the House does impeach the president, it goes to the Republican-controlled Senate to decide if Trump will be removed from office. Bill Clinton was impeached, but was later acquitted by the Senate. So, one does not necessarily equal the other. A more likely comparison would be Nixon, who resigned before the House could impeach him. And this is why the whole thing is just performance. Maybe they impeach him, and they don't actually get rid of him. And as long as this whole process takes, it may not even matter with an election coming up. But the Democrats want to show that they're doing something. If they win, great, point for them. If they lose, they still get to tell their base that they tried. The potential downside, though, is if they take their shot and miss... It could galvanize support for Trump and not only help him in his campaign, but it could motivate Republicans to win back the House. Those are not particularly likely scenarios, in my opinion, but they are possible. If they lose and Trump wins re-election, expect his second term to be ten times as wild. If he really starts to feel untouchable, nuking hurricanes is not the craziest thing he will come up with. The worst-case scenario for everyone is probably that Trump wins re-election and then is impeached and removed from office. I feel that would not only stir a lot of negativity about the process, but also strain America's already dwindling faith in democracy. I mean, whether or not you like the guy, if someone is elected and then immediately these people remove him from office, that sets a very dangerous precedent, I feel. On the other side of the aisle, at least two Republicans support the impeachment proceedings. Former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld and former Congressman from Illinois Joe Walsh made their feelings very clear during the unofficial Republican debate just hours after Pelosi's announcement. I'll just say, if you thought the early Democratic debates were a waste, you should have seen this. Only two of the four candidates, candidates in quotes, even showed up. Trump obviously wasn't going to come, and former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, who is mostly known for his cheating scandals, declined due to a scheduling conflict. So Weld and Walsh, both running on similar platforms of, as Walsh put it, it's not about the issues, it's about Trump, spent most of their time explaining that they are not, in fact, Trump. Bill Weld, who was the Libertarian VP candidate last time around, called Trump a disgrace to the office and said that conservative voters are looking for a, quote, normal Republican to vote for. Walsh, a former Trump fan, said in his opening statement that Trump would be impeached very soon and that he would deserve it. And honestly, that pretty much sums up the debate. I already don't like Trump. I know most of you don't either. And if you've been paying attention, you have enough reason to feel that way without these two going back and forth about it. I could go through the whole 90 minutes and we could talk policy points, but does anyone really care what either of these two would do if they won the office that they will never, ever, under any circumstances ever hold? exactly and that's going to do it for this week i'm sick i'm exhausted and i'm out of here again uh, if you want to get in contact with us common sense underground on facebook is the best way to do it if you would like to yell at me for whatever reason i am the b parsons on twitter the website is still searching for hiring a designer if you know anybody otherwise catch me right back here we are trying to get back on track, so if you listen to the show, if you enjoy the show, consider subscribing on whatever podcast platform you may like, whether it be Stitcher, Anchor, Apple, Spotify, however you do. Otherwise, we will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. This isn't freedom. freedom.